Welcome to the Brand and Associates podcast, Insurance Banter. In each one of our episodes, you'll experience insightful discussions about important topics that you can turn around and implement in your business to become a more effective insurance professional. We're going to jump into the discussion today. Chris and I are pleased to have Bill Wilson join us and really improve the intelligence in the room, so to speak. Bill, thanks so much for being here today. Thank you for having me. <laughs> and if you would introduce yourself to folks. You almost need no introduction, but for those that that haven't been following you or know you, tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, so, well, I'm a native Nashvilleian. I've lived here just about all my life. I started out in the insurance industry as an engineer. I got a degree in engineering, specializing in fire protection. Uh, did most of my work for uh, insurance companies, and uh, as I, I tell people, I'm uh, I'm so old that I'm older than FedEx. I did the very first insurance inspection of FedEx in, in Memphis when they first got started. And someone said, well, you uh, to be more conversant with the people in the industry, you need to get the CPCU designation. So I did that, and I got hooked on the insurance side, particularly the coverage side. So that's kind of what I've been doing uh, probably since about 1980 is uh, insurance coverage issues, writing about it, speaking about it, reading 50,000 policies. That's probably an understatement. Uh, and uh, and just talking about the the industry from largely from a, a coverage standpoint. I, I uh, left, uh, worked for ISO for almost 20 years. I left them and went with the Big Eye of Tennessee for 11 years, then spent 17 years with the Big Eye National building their virtual university. And I retired from there at the end of 2016. And since then, I've been uh, I've uh, been blogging and still doing a little writing and speaking. I've written six books since I retired six years ago, about one per year, only two of which are insurance books, but uh, that's how I spend my time. And uh, I'm in a band called the Spiders, Spiders with a Y. Uh, so I play music and write music, and I've been increasingly doing more of that than insurance for the past couple of years. Very nice. Very nice. And I will highly recommend at least one of the books, When Words Collide. I've I've really enjoyed that and, and, and have thumbed through it. And unfortunately, I've had many opportunities to go back and reference it as I interact with claim representatives that are that are not on the right path. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh you know, we're gonna talk a little bit about the industry. You've seen it a whole lot. Um, and, and I think we've always fought this perception from consumers that believe insurance is a commodity, but it's absolutely not. And why is that the case? Yeah, it's, uh, you know, it's consumers know nothing about the insurance industry. They, it's, it's this bizarre area that they, they don't understand at all. And the sad thing is that many people who work in the industry don't get it either. Over the years, one of the, one of the things that we offered with the, the Big Eye Virtual University was uh, an Ask an Expert service. We had some of the top uh, coverage minds from around the country and agency management people like, like Chris Barand and, and others. And uh, one of the most frustrating questions I would get would, would begin, does a homeowner's policy cover blah, blah, blah? Does a CGL policy cover? And it depends on the, the policy. When I've uh, the topic we're talking about today, when I've done it as a as a a convention presentation, 
I give a lot of coverage examples, and there's one that I do involving riding lawnmowers. You know, if you have an accident in a riding lawnmower and kill somebody or injure somebody, does your homeowner's policy cover you? And even if you're only talking about ISO policies, it depends on which edition of their homeowner's policy is the one in, in question. Some, some of the editions cover it. Some don't cover it. Uh, with companies, you find a huge variation. Uh, another example I would give was every auto policy has a racing exclusion, but the, what kind of racing is excluded? Does it, it exclude NASCAR type racing? Does it exclude street racing? Uh, and so on. It depends on, on the policy. It varies dramatically from one to another. So if you're uh, a, a, another area, if um, water leaks and in, in, in plumbing systems is a huge cause of claims, and uh, there's some policies will cover that. Some, many of them, most of them probably exclude repeated seepage or leakage over weeks, months, or years. <clears throat> so there's no coverage, but uh, th there may be coverage available if, if even for a sublimit. It's important to know that stuff because as an agent, if you're, if you're recommending uh, an independent agent, recommending a carrier or particular products, it's good to know that somebody has a home that where the, the plumbing system is 50 years old and may be subject to leaks. So you'd, you'd want a product that would cover that kind of exposure. So understanding the products that you sell is important because there is not a homeowner's policy. Every one of them is a, a unique character in and of itself. Sure. I know that I can remember being in school and we were talking about commodities and the example they always used was, was rice, which is it's pretty much the same thing inside any package from one, one bag of rice to the other. But that is not the case, as you just described in insurance, right? It's a homeowner's policy. Yeah. And even in there is not, in, they're not substitutable. Right. Often. And and even uh, even in rice, you know, there's white rice, there's brown rice, there's short grain, there's long grain. There are little nuances that may not, you know, it may not make a big difference to me, but it, it it might to a chef for a particular dish. So there's there there's not a whole lot of things that are truly commodities, uh, and especially a, a a legal binding contract between two parties. They one punctuation mark can make a difference in coverage. Chris, you work with a lot of agents, and and what do you, have you seen anybody really articulate well to their clients why insurance isn't a commodity? Why what the clients thinking isn't really isn't really real? Yeah, I'm I'm really fortunate. I have uh, a handful of clients that have decided to become very educated, both in the coverages, but also how to articulate coverages. And you have to have both skills, I think. So um, one of my favorite examples when I teach a homeowner's, used to teach a homeowner's class was, even if there was only one homeowner's policy, let's just take one, would you still have a commodity? And the answer is no, because every consumer, every homeowner has different needs. And the insurance industry has done a phenomenal job at the carrier level of providing all kinds of endorsements and coverage options to fit each client's specific needs. And if you as the agent know to focus on the customer first 
instead of the policy first, you will never ever write the same homeowner's policy twice, even if you only have one homeowner's policy carrier to choose from. I did an analysis taking like, um, I can't remember the exact number. I think it was like 18 standard ISO level endorsements. There's something around the realm of 25 million permutations. In other words, 25 million possible combinations of coverage using just one form. So nobody should ever have the same coverage. Everyone should have unique coverage. There should be no commoditization. And my clients, even in personal lines that can articulate that, they seem to sell a lot more insurance at much higher profit margins. To If you have multiple options, I just had one um, come up on Tuesday. We record this on a Friday. And one of my best clients, they went out and discovered that this one carrier, I won't give away the coverage, I won't give away their trade secret, this one carrier excludes a really important coverage. So what did they do? They went out and identified as many client, as many commercial insureds that have insurance with that client, with that carrier and go, hey, you know, do you think you need coverage for this? 100% of the time, yes. Do you know you don't have it? No, my agent never told me. Well, I can get it for you if you like to switch agents. You know what their hit ratio is? 95%. So does knowing coverage, is it more than something esoteric for geeks like Bill and me? No, it's, it actually results in greater sales. Yeah. So, and, and Bill, with that, I mean, you've devoted your career to coverage issues and things. As far as finding those endorsements, um, kind of knowing about them, becoming familiar with them, what would you recommend to somebody there? Where can they start? Well, I mean, you need you need to study the portfolio of forms. You don't have to read every one. You don't have to memorize every one that your carriers offer. It's a challenge for independent agents who represent multiple companies to know what's available. Hopefully, you have a, a good underwriter who, who knows what they can and can't do that can kind of guide you along. But the, the, as Chris says, the, the initial key is identifying the exposures and then trying to find a solution to those exposures. And it varies varies from one carrier to another. The I, I know an agent in Missouri by the name of Tim Wall, and Tim, Tim was a great agent. He's a coverage guy. He, he's given me so many examples that I use when I make presentations of uh, customers that come into his office wanting to save money on insurance, like all the advertising tells them, you know, 15 minutes, save 15%. Or you get the same coverage, often for less. Well, no, it ain't the same coverage flow, but uh, that that kind of thing. They'll come in looking to save money. They leave if he books the business, and he usually does, paying more than they did before because they didn't really understand the uninsured exposure they still had and how relatively inexpensively he could fix that and give them the peace of mind that that in part insurance uh, pays for. He told me about one, uh, it was a plastics extrusion manufacturer and he couldn't find any admitted carriers. He found three quotes from the ENS marketplace and the cheapest one, he looked at it and it had a list of specific types of plastics that it excluded. Every plastic this guy dealt with was on that list. 
And if you didn't look at the form, you'd never know that he was buying something with, with no coverage. So that's the kind of thing when you, when you do place the coverage, you got to make sure you know that it does the job that you're insured needs it to do. Absolutely. And, and there's so many forms that arrive with that kind of stuff. I had a, a tour guide service and, and really what was his biggest concern, right? Is his clients that were, that they were taking on these tours and the initial quote we got back excluded coverage for participants. Yeah. So, you know, yep. Happens all <laughs> the time, all the time. Hmm. Well, and you've probably seen it your whole career, right? The the insurance agents going out the door, we're reading about all this AI stuff, carriers have tried to eliminate the middleman. But uh, we've been pretty resilient so far, especially for the ones that really want to get in and understand and do the right things. Are still in a good place or are we now really headed out the door? Yeah, I was. Uh, I had an agent. I was writing an article uh, about the the imminent death of the insurance agent, and um, and quoted the the old Mark Twain quote that the reports of my death have been greatly exaggerated. I was talking to an agent said his father. He had a piece of paper that his father got at a local board meeting uh, from a big eye association in his community. That uh, the speaker, whoever it was, was predicting, and this was in 1976, that the agent would would be dead in a matter of a few years because he was uh, involved with a company that was selling direct and and all this stuff. And 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 the reality is there there are still people out there that appreciate the counsel of a knowledgeable insurance professional, uh, and I think there 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 always will be. I kind of got on this kick about the death of the insurance agent when InsureTech came along. And InsureTech was all about fast, easy, and convenient. Uh, that's all people want. I wrote an article about uh, that compared where someone with a major insurer compared uh, buying insurance to buying paper towels on Amazon, that it was basically the same thing, uh, maybe a little more important than that, but not not much. Uh, but it's the I, I think it all begins with the advertising of companies. If you think about the pervasive advertising, and we could name the companies that do this, uh, it's almost all price focused. And um, it's almost all about uh, hilarious situations. I, I saw a tweet from a guy uh, several years ago that said, why do insurance companies try to outfunny each other with their insurance advertising? And there's nothing funny about insurance. I mean, for me, it's been an enjoyable career, but I don't sit around just laughing uproariously about insurance. And particularly when you have a claim at, at, at claim time, I wish I still had it. I had a, a friend who was an agent in a little town in Tennessee who passed away a few years ago, and I had a photograph that I can't find. It, he uh, he had a, a homeowner's insured, and it was a photo his wife took of him standing with a husband and wife and their two little girls looking at their home in flames. The fire department was there. Uh, they had uh, uh, hose streams on it and all this stuff. And he was sitting there or standing there rather in their front yard with this, this family with his arm over the shoulder of his, his uh, insured uh, at 3 a.m. in the morning. This is the local insurance agent. You know, if you're if you're dealing with Jake Jake at State Farm remotely, Jake isn't going to show up when your house is on fire. But that's the kind of of of, uh, of emotional uh, 
I'm not sure what you call it, the, the kind of emotional thing that an insurance agent that you know on a personal level can provide you, particularly in a small town situation, that uh, that this guy would get out of bed and offer his home for these people to spend the night in when something like that happens. And I think insurance still is a personal business, uh, and, except maybe when you get up into the corporate levels and that kind of thing. But uh, I, again, I get back to the, the advertising. One of the most effective advertisements I ever saw was after Xenia, Ohio, the tornado that went through, there was a carrier that did about a 15 minute thing at one of their, their conventions where they showed real people that they interviewed and how great this company was and helping them deal with it. Again, not just from a coverage standpoint, getting them money quickly, but from a personal personal level. To me, those are the kinds of stories that insurance companies need to be telling and not trying to, to, to try to be funny about something. And I, I get it. I understand that with advertising, you have a matter of 20 seconds to grab somebody's attention, do something memorable. So at renewal time, they'll remember you and maybe get a quote from you. I, I, I get that. But there are ways to reach, you know, humor is only one emotion. There are ways to reach people to make your company uh, uh, memorable than just trying to be hilarious in your, in your advertising. Absolutely. And Chris, I knew you track agents a lot in the universe of agents, how many of them are that are out there. How's that been trending? It's staying pretty even, according to the big eye. The number of agents is, um, has actually bounced back according to their latest numbers. And we're back to around 40,000 independent insurance agents, which is a material increase. Part of it is the influx of, of um, captive agents that were let go to become independent agents. Another aspect is that <clears throat> the main barrier to entry historically was getting carrier contracts. There are no barriers to entry to getting carrier contracts today. All you have to do is join one of a plethora of networks and you can have every carrier do your heart's desire pretty much anywhere in the country automatically. So we're not, we don't have a shortage of insurance agents at all. What we have is a shortage of knowledgeable insurance agents. There's a big distinction between the two. And I think we do have fewer really knowledgeable agents today than we historically have because the barrier to entry is so much smaller, so much cheaper. Um, I'm not sure the carriers really care that much about whether their agents know what it is that they're selling as long as they put premiums on the books. Um, and so there's a, there's a real distinction. I think that the opportunity for professional agents that really know what they're doing is probably better today than ever because there are fewer competitors that know what they're doing. I think it's a really awesome opportunity environment for, for those people today. And, and then to that point, right, if, you, if you've been around for a while, there was all these training programs, there was the development that seemed to be more pervasive, right? When you joined a company, you went back to a school or you worked, for, you worked as an underwriter, you then worked in the field. That that seems to have gone away. So, Bill, um, kind of to wrap up, what would you recommend to, to folks to try to improve their knowledge, improve their professionalism in, in their career? 
Yeah, I remember the day that uh, you, you get a new producer and, and they would go to to the Hartford for three weeks or six weeks or eight weeks or whatever and be immersed in, in their products and, and, and some competitors' products. And those those days, I think, are largely gone. There, there are lots of resources online from a coverage standpoint. If you, if you work in commercial lines, there, there's nothing better than the International Risk Management Institute Materials Army, uh, IRMI.com. They have a lot of free information and they have subscription basis. If you, if, you, if you have a dispute with an adjuster about what a policy provision means, then if you go to the Army's reference material, their annotated policies, they'll cite case law. They'll give you their rational uh, opinions about whether something is covered or not. So there, there are things that are available uh, uh, to, to, to the agent. But uh, a lot of it is just grunt work is actually, you know, taking the time to read the policies you, that you sell. Uh, you know, most states require on average about 12 hours a year of CE uh, credits. And uh, John Eubank, who was one of my mentors in the, in the industry, used to tell his students that uh, if you spend, it was like five or 10 minutes a day for each workday reviewing policy provisions, looking at, at agency procedures manuals. I know it, it doesn't sound real exciting, but it's, it only takes a few minutes daily to do this, that in a year you would amass about 60 hours of education, vastly more than states require as a minimum. So there, there are all kinds of, uh, if you're a, a self-starter and a self-learner, there are all kinds of resources that are available to do this. I'm sure companies have their own materials that you can use. Uh, but again, it gets back to when you when you have a general knowledge about products that when you're finally matching that product with the insured, that you study that product very carefully to make sure that it does, like the plastics example I gave earlier, that it's the right product for that customer. And a lot of it isn't just just-in-time learning that... Uh, you know, you, you could go to seminars for years and years and learn a lot. Uh, and if you're somebody like me in your 70s, it's going to be gone tomorrow because you can't retain that much. Uh, you know, they call it just in case learning. Here's what you need to know just in case you ever need it. Well, you've forgotten it when you need it. So that's when the just in time stuff, the army manuals and so forth uh, come into play. Well, thank you. Bill, so much for joining us. Would people want to uh, find out what RTFP means um, and and kind of learn, especially from you? I know you're pretty active on LinkedIn. You have a a, a blog that you do on your own website. Um, any other places to point them to? I've already plugged the uh, When Words Collide, go to Amazon or your local bookstore and order that. That reference guide is fantastic. Yeah, that's. I was really surprised at the, at the, to be honest, at the success of that book. I expected. I hope to sell you know a couple hundred copies. And I've actually sold quite a few thousand copies. What's interesting is my my number one market is public adjusters and policyholder attorneys. So if you're an agent, if you're a company claims person, you better get that book because they've got all the secrets to getting coverage. Uh, so yeah, go to Amazon. You can, you can search by my name. I've got, like I said, I've got six books that are out there. Uh, I blog at insurancecommentary.com occasionally whenever I have something important, I think to say, uh, so that's the best way to reach me. And you can get my, my email address there as well. Well, thank you so much again for joining us, Chris. Thanks 
always a pleasure to uh, be able to chat with you. Yeah, well, thank you very much. I could listen to Bill all day. I appreciate your time, Bill. Thanks. Thanks for having me. We appreciate everybody listening. We'll talk to you next time.